The world is round. The stars in the sky are unnumbered. And iron is taken from the earth, the Bible. It is filled with scientific facts such as these and is the basis of my faith and understanding. Good morning and welcome to chapel. Today we have the opportunity to learn, discover, and understand the themes surrounding science and religion. Science and religion, a topic that has been discussed for decades and will be for decades to come, is very fascinating and complex to me. That is one of the reasons why I was drawn to the sciences and have enjoyed both my spiritual and scientific journey. The more I participate in research, learn and observe my surroundings, the more I am fascinated and in awe of God's creation. I would agree with the father of modern science, Robert Boyle's goal and purpose, which was of conducting scientific experiment to demonstrate the reasonableness and harmony of scripture and the principles of natural law. Now I would like to uh, light the Christ lamp as a reminder that even as the Holy Spirit is present throughout the universe, God is present here in this space as we gather this morning. Now I would like to invite John Bushert and John Miller for a musical experiment. So I'm John Bushert, professor of physics. And I'm John Miller, student of physics. <laughs> okay. So we're here this morning to celebrate science and faith. And in, in part, this is connected with a conference that's going on this weekend. There are a couple of public lectures on science and faith. One of them's tonight at 7 o'clock. And uh, so here in chapel, uh, I guess the chapel committee considered this and thought, hey, could we have those, well, they were called PVC instruments. Uh, could we have those this, this week, uh, th this, this chapel? And uh, I thought, well, that's not quite what the system was designed for, but why not try it? So um, with, uh, with some work, we've put together a, an interesting experiment this morning. This uses a system I put together with the help of some students uh, a few years ago, and it wasn't designed with this in mind exactly. The thought was, wouldn't it be nice if uh, we could have a system that would allow people to just come from the audience with no training and pick up some gadgets and make music together in a fun way? And it evolved a little bit over the course of building it, but it kind of ended up working in a strange sort of way, and we've used it a couple times. Um, so I'd like to explain a little bit how it works, and then we're gonna try an experiment together in using this in a new way. Not the way it was intended, but maybe this will work, we'll see. Um, the idea was that people could just pick up some gadget and it would be simple and obvious enough how to use it that they could immediately start using it to make music, but my goodness, how do you ever get all the training to do just the right notes? Well, the idea was maybe you could have the computer help you and, and constrain you to only notes that would sound good at the moment. How is this possible? Well, we thought about this for a while and eventually came up with the idea of having a kind of accompaniment going on in the background that had a chord progression and then if we just said, well, make the instruments constrained to only play the notes that fit the chord at that moment. That's the basic idea. And it suddenly makes it a lot easier to, to design very simple musical instruments. 
You just sort of give an idea of where you want the pitch to be, and it selects it from there. So we've got three of them here this morning. John is in front of the sway and play. Right now he's constrained on, is it the C chord? I don't know if it's the C or the G, whatever it is. He's constrained to the notes of that chord. He can't play any other note. But that means he can't play a wrong note if C is the chord that's sounding right now. He squeezes to make it sound and pushes it back and forth to choose the pitch. That's it. You could do this. Anybody could do this. Oh, next is the, the baronium. And he just presses somewhere on that bar. And how hard he presses determines how loud the note is. And where he presses determines what the pitch is. And last we have the pluck and play. And he, he plucks a little thing and then moves the slider up and down to select the pitch. So we're going to try this in a kind of experiment here uh, because this was designed more for people to just kind of play and improvise and now we're going to try it with hymns and we've never done that before. So you're going to sing along with it. Josh is going to direct you. Now there's one thing that's going to be a real problem here. This system can't respond to you in tempo. You have to stay with it. <laughs> it's just going to keep going. And our plan is to have uh, uh, John and I are going to start off doing this, and then we'll get a, a few other people to join us for another one. But uh, we will play through one verse, just us, and then Josh will bring you in. And you got to stay with us. Uh, yeah. All right, I'd invite all of you to turn in the blue hymnal to number 299, New Earth, Heaven's New, number 299. And please stand as we sing together. Once again, our musicians, both in the flesh and in the silicon, will play this through one time, and I will bring you in. And we will be omitting verse 2. We'll sing verses 1, 3, and 4.
Well, the pluck and play is dead for the time being. <laughs> it uh, sort of gave up the ghost partway through that one. But uh, John switched over and started playing the baronium. And so now we'll take a couple volunteers we had chosen. They aren't exactly volunteers. We volunteered them. Who are they? They're coming up here, though. Yes, come on up. And uh, they will do this instead, just to sort of push forward the idea that anybody should be able to do this. So, and we'll do, yeah. yeah. Now I'd like you to turn to number 614. In the bulb there is a flower, number 614. Once again our musicians will play through this one time and then we will sing all three verses. Next, we will have three individuals who will speak for us. They will address the question of how they have experienced faith and science intersecting. First, we have Tracy Buller, who currently teaches in a field strongly rooted in the sciences. 
As faculty in the nursing department, she is fascinated by the ways that science and faith intersect. The second speaker is Erica Grass, who believes that science and religion is the ongoing dialogue about the purpose of life, and originally chose to study science because she did not want an office job. The third speaker is Ryan Sensenik, who believes that science and religion are often used as a different language to conclude similar truths. Put my timer on because I have been known to speak way too long. Hang on. Okay. This was awesome. You guys give me hope that I could actually learn how to play an instrument. I, that was fantastic. I'm not musical, but that was just great. I love the experimental aspect of it. So very cool. Thank you. Um, I have always loved the sciences, and um, that's been a strong suit of mine throughout my education and through my life. But I'm also a very fo a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And I say but because I think sometimes we don't always see how the two go together, but certainly as we're talking about here today, we see very much how faith and science are um, interlinked and there is much intersection. So for me, um, science and faith have always been a very dynamic part of my life together. So I have two um, stories that I want to start out with, um, personal stories that I want to share with you. One story involves a certain mystery and the other science, but both are stories that are strongly rooted in encounters that I believe I had with the living God. <clears throat> my first story is a story that begins when I was in third grade. Um, my annual visit to the eye doctor proved that I was in desperate need of glasses, which explained why I could never see anything on the bulletin board and or the um, chalkboard and why trees didn't really have leaves on them, but I put my glasses on in third grade and suddenly I could see and the world opened up to me in a whole new kind of way. And every year after that, my eyes continued to decline and by high school, I was way beyond being legally blind, um, as my eye doctor told me. So it was discouraging because my eyes continued to decline with every exam. Well, finally in college, my eyesight maintained and um, I no longer had deterioration of eyesight. And I should have said that up to this point, I had been praying earnestly that God would heal my eyes because I did, I always have believed that God has the capacity to heal and to answer prayers. And um, so my eyes though did not, I wasn't healed in the way that I was hoping for in the way that I thought that God might heal me. Um, and when I got the um, diagnosis that my eyes had stopped declining, I accepted that as an answer to prayer, even though it was different than what I had hoped for. I do know that God always does hear us when we pray. I also know that we don't always get the answers in the time and in the way that we desire and hope for. But I do believe that God heard me. And as I said, the fact that my eyes can um, stop declining was um, an answer to prayer, and I was grateful for that. Um, now the second story. In high school, I was diagnosed with colitis, which is an inflammation of the colon, this is probably too much information, um, resulting in bouts of abdominal pain and cramping and details that I'll spare you. Um, and colitis can be stress-related. So at that point in college, I was in nursing school, and um, nursing majors here know how stressful um, college can be and nursing majors are. So I was under a great deal of stress. And I remember late one afternoon being in the bathroom of the college dorm, literally doubled over in pain, unable to stand up straight because of the pain and the abdominal cramping, 
being so severe. And I remember crying out to God in my desperation and saying, God, please heal me. Please do something. Please intervene on my behalf. I am at the end of my rope. No longer can I take this. I can't go forward um, with this much pain. And I remember clear as a bell to this day as I uh, uh, laid, nearly laid over in pain in the bathroom floor, the pain began to subside. And slowly with time, the pain completely went away. And I walked out of that bathroom, standing up straight, pain-free, and never again have had that kind of abdominal pain in my entire life. I consider that a miraculous healing. I don't know how else to explain it, and I don't know really what all that was about, except that I believe um, that God um, answered my desperate cries for help. We all hit walls in life where we're at the end of our rope, where we feel like we can't go on, life isn't working for us, as we've experienced at that point, and we have the opportunity and invitation to call out to God in our times of need, and that's what I did, and I felt like God met me that day. <clears throat> so I can't explain it, but my faith in God allows room for me to not have that all figured out and to not be able to explain that away and to be okay with the mystery of that experience. So now allow me to circle back to the story about my eyesight. So several years ago, I had LASIK eye surgery done. And LASIK is a procedure that has been developed by science that corrects nearsightedness. As I opened my eyes 24 hours after that surgery, I was able to see without any aids, no contacts, no glasses. And I recall at that moment being overwhelmed with even deeper gratitude and a feeling and a sense that my prayers earlier in my life had been answered in some sort of way through that procedure. <clears throat> there was no mysterious element to this healing. Every aspect of that procedure could be explained by science and medicine, but to me that has not diminished my belief that somehow the science behind the technology was an answer to my prayer and a gift from God, not only to me, but to many others who have also had that procedure. So two stories of looking in faith to God. One is a story rooted in science and technology, and the fact that it is so does not diminish its significance to me any more than the, the story rooted in mystery is diminished by the fact that I can't fully explain what happened that day in the bathroom. Yes, I believe that prayer does influence our health, and it's exciting to me that science across the disciplines are working to demonstrate these relationships empirically according to the norms of scientific scholarship, which I find very exciting and very fascinating. So while there are studies that do disprove the effects of prayer and health, there's a growing body of evidence that does show that there is a scientific relationship between prayer and health, and I'm excited to see more of that emerge. So in conclusion, while I believe there will always be a mystery to God and the ways of God and how God works in the world, I also believe that the intersection between faith and science is widening in a way that doesn't need to contradict our faith, but can actually serve as a source to strengthen our faith in those, for those who follow Christ. Hi. Um, even though I study biology and environmental science, um, at times I've been turned off with the arrogance and the inaccessibility of the scientific community. As a society, I've been annoyed with our tendency to rely on science as the way to define and measure progress. And I'm disturbed at our willingness to blindly accept 
Western science and technology as the best solutions for our problems. Yet, despite all this, despite the way that science can still be used to justify discrimination and violence, I daily choose to reconcile with this discipline. Science has played an important role in my life. Many of my greatest mentors were formal and informal science teachers. As early as the fourth grade, I learned that my interests in the outdoors and analytics were sciency, and yet I struggled to be boxed into a discipline that I was told couldn't coexist with religion, or that didn't readily see value in faith, human experience, or the arts. These past few years, I have found that I do not need to choose between science or other disciplines. Taking courses in business, women's studies, or even history has made me a better scientist. And studying science has made me think more deeply about my faith and my identity in connection with these fields. I use science as one framework through which I look at the world. I recognize that science is only one way to make sense of this reality and frame the human narrative, but is one that I resonate with. It is by science that I experience wonder, that I can deepen my theology, and that I can live faithfully. The nature of science is not static, it is continually changing, and it calls for a community of individuals to analyze and discern each contribution. The level of local and global accountability that I have observed reflects my understanding of community. Through my participation in science, I'm continually reminded to appreciate varying perspectives and look for the goodness in shared humanity. The scientific method has given me a way to recognize and limit my own bias. It has taught me to ask questions, to look for patterns, and to not assume causation. This way of thinking has pushed me to address the importance of context as I face limits in understanding based on spatial and temporal scales. I resonate with a science that promotes holism. The discipline has provided me tangible ways to see connection with natural systems, to care for the needs of people, and to strive for shalom. Science has enabled me to live intentionally. It has empowered me to be aware of how decisions I make affects my body, relationships, and the land. It has invalidated the body-spirit dualism and has provided me with new ways to think about death, human nature, consumption, and waste. I found science in the everyday, in baking bread, in sharing meals, in running, in learning the names of plants, or in playing music. Oftentimes, these are some of the most spiritual moments of my day. I see faith, as two, faith and science as two separate languages that try to articulate the presence of a creator and that allow us to sense our humanity and the need of God. For me, faith in science runs deeper than proving the existence of a god or goes beyond the argument of creation and evolution. I find that science exemplifies my Anabaptist theology and gives me a way to use my gifts to proclaim and work for the kingdom. I find hope in the intersection of these disciplines. As the church and communities engage in conversation and look for ways to act out of faithfulness, I hope that this offers some perspective. From my job this past summer, I have heard countless reasons for why youth have stopped studying science, hate the discipline, and have turned away from religion. Surprisingly, the reasons for both sound very similar. I fear that we are unknowingly destroying curiosity and teaching patience when we respond to questions of why with a simple because. I fear that we lose integrity when we are afraid to, limit, to admit that I don't know. 
As I'm faced with the decision of what to do after college, I struggle to pull all this together. I see myself further engaging with the intersection of science and faith, but I don't know in what capacity. I've pushed out the ideas of medical anthropology and even healthcare administration. But whether I work within or without, in outside a system or aim to address local or global issues, I will continue to seek out people and experiences that deepen my understanding of the world and of God. Thanks. I'd like to tell you two stories that uh, affirm the idea that Aradna said earlier about my views on science and religion. Uh, I, I want to um, suggest to you today that science and religion often use different languages to really talk about the same truths. One story happened to me, and I'm going to argue that the other story is happening to us today, even as we sit here. First story is called Joey. I taught uh, high school earth science for six years before coming to Goshen College. And of course, you might know that part of any good earth science curriculum, we've got to discuss the age of the earth and how the earth formed. So one morning um, during this unit, before class, I arrived to my desk and there neatly folded and strategically placed on my desk was a note. I unfolded the note curiously that morning, thinking maybe it was an affirmation of my great teaching acumen, right? It said something like this, as I recall, Dear Mr. Senseneg, I wanted to share with you that you are in the dangers of the fires of hell if you continue to teach that the earth is 4.6 billion years old. I will be praying for you. End of quote. No signature at all in this note. So like any good teacher, I uh, rather quickly surmised which young cherub had left this note. <laughs> we'll call him Joey, because that is his name. <laughs> that afternoon, I asked Joey, I said, Joey, I asked him to stay after class and we had a conversation. I said, Joey, you might find it surprising that you and I are both Christians and that we probably share more in common in regards to our beliefs than you might guess. And the conversation went on from there. He and I actually became quite good friends, a bond born out of this conflict. And, and I would say that conflict was born out of the fact that we were using language differently. Language that he thought meant one thing and I thought meant another. Several days later in that same class while studying the origin of the universe, another student offered this question. He said, how can the Big Bang be true if in the Bible it says, God said, and there it was? I, I paused for a moment and I thought of Joey. How could I put it into language that a Joey might accept? So I said, yes, I happen to agree with you. I think both are true. I think God said, let it be, and bang, there it was. Science and religion, I think, use different languages often for the same thing. Story two, a bit more philosophical. It's called Leaving the Garden of Eden, and that story is happening today to you and I. I'm intrigued with how the Genesis account of leaving the garden and the scientific account of human evolution are actually speaking similar truths. Could these two stories be actually teaching us the same thing? First, the scientific story. 
4.6 billion years ago, some of the matter in the universe coalesced into one corner of space to gunk into a star called the sun. The rocky debris around which glommed into planets, one of which is the Earth. The first single-celled creatures arose about three billion years ago, full of mystery and life, a creative process, followed twists and turns, dead ends. Life itself created new habitats. In fact, our oxygen-rich atmosphere, we thank the uh, algae in the ocean. Five to six million years ago, the savannas, great habitats, by the way. <laughs> savannas spread, enhanced by hominid burning. Our human ancestors trotted the globe for several hundred thousand years. They modified habitats. They began, began to get smarter. They uh, evolved huge brains capable of social structures and language and culture and now agriculture. Then the story races ahead. Medicine, swelling populations, gas-fired engines, spewing paper mills, Xboxes, iPods, species extinction, climate change in 2013. Here we sit. Let's look at the other story. The biblical creation account, many of you know so well that you, uh, you have lo it's lost its appeal to you, I think. God created the heavens and the earth, all the creatures, then humans. Adam and Eve dwelled in this community of life for some time, living in interdependence, burning the savannas maybe, with all the other creatures in the garden. But then at some point something shifted there was a new awareness, new opportunities, a consciousness of sorts. Adam and Eve chose to eat from the tree of knowledge rather than the tree of life, and bang, boom, they were kicked out of their home like a college graduate without a job. So do these two, some of you are college graduates soon, I guess. Do these two stories contradict one another or do they in fact speak to similar truths? I think I'm gonna suggest that both stories conclude that humans were created as part of both ecological and social communities. Yet with our big brains came a, a moral Achilles heel. Talk about a mixed metaphor. Our smarts have tricked us into thinking that we can thrive apart from a community. So maybe what Genesis is really speaking to is that eating of the tree of knowledge is in part the human tendency to think we know best, to remove ourselves from the communities we depend on, to seek personal gain and pleasure at the expense of our neighbor, to pad our lives with technological comforts that harm ourselves and each other. Could our modern environmental and social crises, could these be what leaving the Garden of Eden is really the metaphor for? Could have this been even foreshadowed in the Genesis creation accounts written eons ago? The theologian, the theologian John of Pergamon says, the human being rejected his or her role as the priest of creation by creating, by making himself and herself the God in creation. So reading the theological text with one eye and the natural text with the other eye Looking for commonalities instead of differences, I think is a very fruitful process. In this story, it suggests to us that the Genesis story is not an ancient story of history. It's not a story that's over. It's in fact an unfolding story of today. It's in a story in which we are all actors charged with tending the garden. 
So I believe science and religion are speaking the same truths, perhaps using different language, and may we each learn how to become more bilingual. Before we go out holding these ideas in tension, let's sing once more together number 414, and let's stand once more as we sing this rousing hymn. And John is going to do the, us the favor of giving us our pitches. Lulu. Number 414. God who stretched the declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech and night, after night they reveal knowledge. Psalm 19 verse 1 to 2. So as we leave from here today, I would like to encourage you to be open to exploring and growing in your understanding of peace, science and faith. Go in peace.